Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Let me add my welcome to you. My name is Buzz and I'm one of the pastors here and I'm excited to look at Psalm 127 today. Thanks to Justin for reading it for us. And I love this Psalm series that we're in the midst in going through the Songs of Ascent, Psalm 120 through Psalm 137, seeing the highs and the lows of the road of life that God has put us on and finding the Psalm that's right for the mood or the time that we are in. And we've talked about Psalms of joy, uh, psalms of lament or sadness or grief. You know, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Danny talked about that one psalm of where we made it, but barely. And uh, that was a good word for me. If you haven't checked that message out, I encourage you to do so because Danny's unpacking his heart towards our season where we're at as a church, the highs and lows of shutdown, the current complexity of our church family, and uh, he was really able to share his heart in a meaningful way. So I encourage you to check that out if you haven't yet seen it, because I think the mood of we made it, but barely, and did we make it, but are we still on the way, is a really, I don't want to say a good one, but it it captures the mood of our season really, really well. Today we're going to be talking about the blessing available as we follow God through our life in Psalm 127. You might have noticed that as Justin was reading, He didn't actually use the word blessing at all, but I do think Psalm 127 is a good picture of what it can mean to be blessed. Now, if you were here a couple weeks before our psalm series started, my friend Dr. Glenn Packiam was here sharing uh, his message called Blessed, Broken, Given. Were you guys here for that one? It was really great, wasn't it? And uh, he unpacks this idea of what it means to be blessed. And so I encourage you to check out Glenn and hear from him and his heart towards it. But one thing he said that has been reverberating for me in my heart really since then was that the the first word the Lord spoke over us was a word of blessing. He created humanity and he saw that it was good. He blessed it. And what a good truth for us that God is a good God who loves us and is worth following. You know, Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the womb, says the Lord, I knew you and I created you. And so this blessing begins even at the beginning. And we also sang that worship song, The Blessing. Do you guys like that song? I love that song, right? Even more than you do, Norris, I, I believe, because they always make fun of me, the worship team, because every song I like, I'm like, oh, that's a top five song. I have like 38 top five songs or whatever. Uh, the Blessing, definitely top five, though. And um, earlier on in shutdown, do you remember when it was cool for all the churches to do kind of their at distance or at home supercuts of The Blessing? Did you watch these on YouTube? There's a lot of them. I think I've watched them all right? My kids are like, isn't there anything else on YouTube than the blessing videos? Not for me, there's not. I'm watching them all, right? I could rank them best to worst. Thank you for asking. I'll rank them for you best to worst right now, right? South Africa, that one is great. There's some uh, Kosa language in there, amazing. Australia is great. Anytime you have Hillsong singing for you, you kind of have an edge, but there's this one kid sitting at his computer with his iPhone in. Amazing voice. What a gift. 
Pittsburgh, strangely, is really good. I don't know why I'm telling you this other than to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt I watched them all for sure. The ones I don't like, we don't need to talk about those quite so much, you know. But I love that it's talking about uh, the book of Numbers and the priestly blessing that Aaron gives to the children of Israel, that the blessing of the Lord is for us and for their children and their children's children. And Aaron lived, you know, roughly 2000 BC, and we stand now today as the children of the Lord in the heritage of that rich blessing that God has spoken over us. It's a good day to talk about being blessed. It's also a holiday today. Last week we celebrated six months till Christmas. What are we celebrating today? Does anybody know? That's right. It is the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest today. That's correct. I saw who won on my phone earlier. 76 hot dogs, right? One for 1776. That's a lot of hot dogs. I'm going to try to eat 77 today, see if I can go up over the top. But of course, it's Independence Day, July 4th, and we're a blessed nation in many ways. We have a lot of challenges in many ways, but we're blessed to be able to worship the Lord freely. And so I'm excited to look a little bit deeper into Psalm 127. And as I think about this in the context of independence or being an American, you know, as Americans, we like to have it all, don't we? We love to work. We love to succeed. And so what does it mean to have it all to you? What would it be like to have it all? To have it all. Is this what it means to be blessed? To have everything? Maybe it is. You know, as Americans, a lot of us think of things like money. The person who has it all has finances. Maybe money can't buy happiness, but money sure can buy stuff, right? Maybe stuff will make you happy. The person who has money, do they have it all? Or is it prestige that really gets us going? Maybe a title at work or notoriety or being famous for something or going viral. Is that what it means to have it all? Or maybe these people who get to go on vacations or try new restaurants or go all around the world and live a life of adventure, are they the ones who have it all? Maybe it's uh, home ownership and the, and the status and stability that that incurs. Those are the people who have it all, those ones who are stable financially, who know where they're going to live. Or maybe for us it's achievement that sets people apart, something lasting that you can set down and look out at and say, this person achieved this, they built this. Maybe it's a business, maybe a monument, maybe a book, something lasting. Are those the people that have it all, I wonder? As Americans, this, I think, frames what our culture defines as success, achievement, blessing. So what I love about Psalm 127 is that it was written by somebody who had all of those things I just listed. You know, we know as followers of Christ that this is an incomplete list in many ways. And if you look at Psalm 127 verse 1 and you scoot up a little bit in your print Bible, you'll see that there is a title or a, a, what they call a prologue. And it says, a song of ascent of Solomon. Solomon here is uh, therefore the author, and if you think about King Solomon, David's son, what do we think about when we think about him? Maybe you're thinking about his wisdom, maybe you're thinking about his riches, richest king in Israel's history, maybe you're thinking about his power, he extended the borders of the kingdom further than any other king did. Maybe you're thinking about prestige in terms of his building projects, palaces, temple. He's the one that built the temple of the Lord. When you looked out at the temple, they called it Solomon's Temple. Maybe you're thinking about acquisition, just money or uh, wealth or prestige in terms of his relationship with the powers of that day. Like Egypt, he had an alliance. He went so far as to marry Pharaoh's daughter. This guy had everything in terms of what a king could achieve in the ancient Near East. Solomon was the one who had it all. He had the whole list. 
money, fame, wealth, power, prestige, Solomon had it all, all. But yet, what does he write about what that success is as he looks back at his life? What does he find as his true source of blessing? Here, as he writes this psalm for us, he writes here in verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it may labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I'm reading from the ESV today. Justin on our bumper video read uh, the NIV. I think the ESV does a little better job with some of the idioms here. Um, But Solomon's catching this idea of building or watching over cities, and Solomon built houses, and he watched over cities, he watched over nations, and he knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that you can't have it all without the Lord. You can't have it all without the Lord. You just can't. You know, and this is in part, I think, because God defines success or having it all a little bit differently than we do. You know, God's values are different than the values of the world. You know, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is also traditionally attributed to King Solomon, he puts it a bit of a different way. Now, this book, Ecclesiastes, is part of what we call the wisdom literature. There's uh, Proverbs, which teaches you kind of how to live in a complicated world. Proverbs emphasizes the predictability of the world. Like if you do smart things, typically it goes well for you. That's kind of the general message of the book of Proverbs. We also have the book of Job, uh, another wisdom book. And Job is seeking God in the midst of senseless tragedy, things which you can't explain. How do we find God in the midst of those places? You know, Job unpacks the world from that lens. Many of the Psalms are also wisdom Psalms, including this one today, Psalm 127. How do we find peace and purpose in our broken world. And Ecclesiastes looks out at the world and says, the world is complicated. It's hard to see clearly. How can we follow God in the midst? And so when you can't find purpose and when you just can't quite see exactly where God wants you to go, when you know that you're blessed, but you know that, man, there's something missing, Ecclesiastes is a good word for you. Look what Solomon writes in chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Solomon says that I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And what a heavy word to choose, meaningless meaningless. You know, a few summers back here at Three Crosses, we did a whole series on wisdom literature. I encourage you to find that in the archives because I I loved it. It was one of the best things we ever did, in my opinion. And we unpacked this idea that that term meaningless, which in Hebrew is the word hevel, it means something like vapor, hard to see through, almost like the idea of fog. So is anybody planning to go out to San Francisco for the fireworks tonight? No, no, of course not. Why not? I don't want to go because of the traffic and the parking. I hate finding parking. That's my least favorite thing. Uh, But we're not going to go because it's supposed to be foggy tonight, right? And nobody wants to look up at the sky trying to see a firework, and the fog just gets in the way. You can't see through it. It blocks your vision. You can't see clearly, right? This is the idea of this term meaningless. You can't see. It's foggy. Somebody feel like the world is foggy, trying to find your place in it, trying to find how to work hard, how to do your best, and just you can't find a way? That's what Solomon's talking about. This is meaningless. It's vaporous. It's hard to see exactly what God wants us to do. 
He took delight in all his labor, acquired everything, took everyone he wanted, had everything, everything. He had it all, and yet he says, this is meaningless. No purpose under the sun. Man, so perhaps we can say that you can't have it all without the Lord. But it doesn't mean that God is your ticket to wealth or wisdom or prestige or acquiring things. That's not what Solomon is saying. In fact, we know that's true. Like we look out at our world, we see that a lot of people with money don't know the Lord. A lot of people with power don't know the Lord. A lot of people with prestige or stuff, they're not followers of God. It's not that we followers of God get all that stuff. That's not what we mean by blessed. In fact, the psalm is saying that even if you have those things, apart from God, they're meaningless. Even if you achieve everything, even if you build that house, even if you watch over that city, it's meaningless apart from the Lord. The psalm puts it vain. It's empty. It's wanting. It's missing something. Look at how 127 verse 2 puts it. He says, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. And this is, the, this is the verse that gets me. I've been thinking about this verse for a long time because <laughs> we're just consuming that bread of anxious toil, aren't we? We're consuming our anxiety, consumed by our anxiety, always wanting more and biting into the bread and finding it empty, vain, meaningless toil. Because you, know, you can always work more. You can always do more. You can always find another task to put your hand to. You know, I looked up uh, on the internet some stats about work, this anxious toil, this rising early, this late to rest. How are we doing with that <laughs> in America? Uh, according to Glassdoor, which is kind of an employment review website, three quarters of people, 75% of people, check their email after work hours. So that means we go to work, we work, we come home, and we still work. We check our email. 10% of people work constantly self-reported. Three-quarters of us work at home after hours. 10% work constantly. Also, according to Glassdoor, only 23% of people take their whole vacation time. Less than a quarter of us. You're given time by your employer to be away with pay, and only 23% of people use that because there's work to do. Who's going to do the work if I'm not there? I got to get my projects done. I got to do my stuff. Maybe my colleague will pass me up. Maybe there's prestige. Maybe there's a client. Maybe there's something. Maybe there's purpose. Three quarters of us don't even take vacation. According to H&R Block in 2019, people self-report that they only have 23 minutes of free time in a given week. 23 minutes. I don't know if that's true or not because that's a self-reporting kind of a thing, but people are saying after cleaning the house, after feeding the kids, after putting them to bed, after going to work, after taking care of my obligations, 23 minutes of free time people feel like they have in a given week. And that same year, H&R Block found that 50% of entrepreneurs said they're too busy to even do their taxes and they just didn't do them. Well, not you guys, you're the good half. Uh, and then the University of Purdue and the University of Virginia did a joint study, and they found that once you start making more annually than a, a certain amount, which in this year, 2019, was $73,000 annually, uh, your happiness actually goes down. What? That's because you get your needs met, and they found, and then you start comparing yourself to everybody who has more, and then you just want more. Okay, now I got my needs met. I'm not worrying where my meal is coming from, but I don't have a new car. Okay, now I got my new car, 
but I don't have my house. No, I got my house, but I don't have my vacation. No, I got my vacation, but I don't have my retirement. No, I got my retirement, but I don't have, and I don't have, and I don't have, and our happiness actually goes down because of comparison. We look at what we don't have and opposed to what we do. 73000 annually is like a lot of money, I think, for most people in the world. And here in the Bay Area, we're like, I don't know if I can live on $73,000. And this is what our world does to us. It chokes us out by comparison and by always wanting more. Not even necessarily greed, but you just feel like you need more than that. Just a little more than I have, and then I'll be happy. Right? This is that bread of anxious toil, always working, always striving, trying to do just a little bit more. But God is good because he gives us an antidote to this workaholism and this endless cycle of trying to provide for ourselves. One of the things he gives us is Sabbath rest. And as he built the world, God created the world in six days, Genesis says, and on the seventh day he rested. He took a step back and he said, what I made is good. And then he says to us that six days you shall labor and on the seventh day you can rest. 24 hours in a week should be set aside for the purpose of rest and worship. Now, we're not under that law in a legalistic type sense, but I compare that 24 hours of rest to the 23 minutes we feel like we get, and that's like, man, I wish I went God's way with this rest thing. (laughs) You know, Jesus' ministry on earth was a lot about Sabbath and rules and law about it, but he has an episode in his life that I feel like gives us a picture of what rest looks like when you're living in it properly. You know, one day he and his disciples were out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and many of his disciples were professional fishermen, which meant they were on the water a lot. And that particular day, a storm that they hadn't predicted blew up, and it shook the boat and rocked the boat such that they felt like they were going to die, that the storm was going to overtake that boat. And you know what Jesus was doing when this storm was happening and the boat was being tossed around and the disciples were fearing for their life? Where was Jesus? He's asleep. (laughs) Asleep in the hold of a boat. Man, what would it be to trust God so much so that you can just rest when it's time to rest instead of trusting yourself to solve all the problems? That's what Psalm 127 means. He gives to his beloved sleep. Jesus is here facing a problem that people are so worried about, and he is asleep. Not because he's lazy, not because he doesn't know, not because he doesn't have a good work ethic. Of course not. Jesus knows that rest is part of the healthy rhythm that God gives us. So we don't build our life at all. We don't build it all. The Lord gives it to us. The Lord gives it all to us. It's in vain that we work Psalm 127 says, because he gives us rest, sleep, peace, everything we need. So this rest, this taking our hands off of the rat race, says in part that we know that we are not in control, but that the Lord is. We take a step back from controlling and we put God back in to the driver's seat. You know, and as a teenager, I think I understood this concept a bit more intuitively than I do now. Because when I was a teen, I slept like all the time. A lot. I remember one time we went to summer camp and, and I came back and uh, I'm sure I wasn't very well hydrated. It was hot and humid. I'm sure I had nothing but soda and pizza. And then I came home. I said, hey, mom, I had a great week. Went up to my room and I fell asleep and I slept for 20 straight hours, 2-0. That's my record, 20 hours. So you guys can try to beat that today if you want. Um, 
because my body needed it, and I didn't wake up and go back to sleep. I wasn't lazy. I wasn't, like, not working. I just needed that rest, 20 hours of sleep as a teenager. And I didn't think to myself while sleeping, man, I wonder where my meal is going to come from. Man, I wonder how my clothes are going to get taken care of. Man, I wonder if I'm going to get into a good college. I, I just didn't think about any of that stuff as a teen. I just was tired. I went to bed. That's how I operated. And I feel like my teen self knows a little bit more about following God than my adult self does because now I think about that stuff. Where's our food coming from? Who's going to do these dishes? Who's going to do this laundry? Who's going to do it all? I got to do it. I got to stay up and do it. I got to strive. I don't get to sleep for 20 hours because who's going to do all the things if I go to sleep? (laughs) So we work because we're worried about not having enough, but man, the Lord provides all of our needs, doesn't he? This is what Jesus points out to us in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. I wonder if my adult self or my teen restful self catches this a bit more clearly. He says in verse 9, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. You know, that image of kingdom that Jesus gives us here is real interesting because we are reading a psalm from a great king, King Solomon. And yet the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Christ, is a different king than Solomon was. You know, Solomon was about wealth and palaces and temples. And Jesus says, I have nowhere even to lay my head. And worshipers worship in spirit and in truth, not in this mountain or on that mountain. Why do we chase the kingdom like Solomon had (laughs) instead of chasing the kingdom like Jesus had? Jesus promises us today our daily bread needs for enough peace, an easy yoke, and a light burden. It's just like it says in Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Man, wouldn't that be a blessing? Not stuff, not prestige, not a lasting empire, but a refreshed soul? Man, exchanging that bread of anxious toil for that sleep, like it says in Psalm 127, for true rest, man, that is a life of blessing. That's a life of blessing, I think. And here in the last part of the psalm, Solomon goes on to outline what a life of blessing actually can look like. So if building cities and raising walls for ourselves is in vain, what is it that the Lord wants to build into our lives? What does he build for us? If we're taking away Solomon's kingdom and adding into it the kingdom of Jesus Christ or that kingdom that Solomon could see as an old man looking back on his life and evaluating the meaninglessness, the chasing that he had done, what does God want to build for us. And we see that, I think, in part in Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, which say, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And so here and elsewhere in the psalm, I think I want to highlight three main things that the psalmist is saying the Lord wants to give you. And the first is family. Family. Psalm 127 is talking expressly about biological family, children, a spouse. And these are immense blessings 
You know, last week I kind of teased out that I was going to open one more gift for you here on stage if you were here with us last week. And in my infinite wisdom, I left it at home. But if it were here, you would see that it was a Father's Day gift for my wife and my kids. And it was uh, like me walking out there as if I were a Star Wars character uh, from The Mandalorian. And then my kids in those little baby carriers like Baby Yoda had. And it had their faces in there and their name. It's really awesome. And uh, I love it a lot because I love Star Wars, but I also love my kids even more than Star Wars which is a lot, right? And so <laughs> this is a blessing. I'm so blessed to have four sons, healthy sons who I'm raising to try to fear the Lord. They are an immense source of joy for me. I'm blessed to have a beautiful wife, Tara, who's down here. She's an immense source of joy for me. I'm, I'm richly blessed. Everything that I need is in my home. It's beautiful. It's a blessing from the hand of God. But God is not just interested in only biological family. In fact, I think the family of God is much deeper and much more transcendent than that, which is beautiful because we get, as a follower of Christ, you get a whole new family, part of the family of God. When you're adopted by Jesus Christ, that means you have God as your father. What a blessing. Jesus says in the book of John that no longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. Because a friend is involved in the goings-on of somebody's life. Jesus calls you friend, family, died for you. That's amazing. What an immense blessing. So whether you're single or married or kids or no kids or grandparent or grandkid yourself, you have a family in Jesus Christ and in our Lord. It's amazing. What a blessing. And being adopted by Jesus means you get some new brothers and sisters too, doesn't it? Uh, The church, both here locally at Three Crosses and globally worldwide, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You get a family from other people. It's amazing. That's the thing I've missed the most, honestly, in the last year and a half is being around other Christians, our church family, for encouragement, for blessing, and for fellowship. I'm so grateful for those of you who are coming back in person. It means a lot to worship with you. There's something about celebrating with people that really matters. It's It's beautiful, it's rich, it's deep, and I love it. Thank you for being here today. Oh, man. You know, and for those of us who are still joining online, what a gift that that is as well. This has kept us connected for 18 months. It's connected people to our ministry from all around the world. I think my parents are watching right now, which they never used to be able to come to church with me. What a gift that that is. For those who are not able or not ready to come back to church in person, like what a gift you guys are as well. We need you. We need you to pray for us. We need you to reach out. We need you to support us. We need you as well. It's not just about being in this room. It's about being a family one with another. So however God calls you to reach out, how can you be a part of that family? We really need you. We really need you. And I think you need this family as well. There's something about being changed by Christ that is a blessing that we get to be children of the Lord, one with another. What a gift. It really is a gift. All right, the second thing I see here in this psalm is that he gives us a great name. A great name. Now, I'm kind of teasing this out because of the phrasing in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham out from his people to be a new family, and he says to Abraham, Abram at that time, he says, behold, I am your shield and a very great reward. I will make you a, I will make for you a great name. And the name in that time meant reputation, that you were known for something really good, that you were known for the right reasons. You know, in the book of Proverbs, uh, Solomon tells us that a great name is better to be had than great riches. 
And here in Psalm 127, verse 5, it says that we shall not be put to shame when we speak with our enemies in the gates. That is reputation, that you're known for integrity, that you're known for the right kind of things. I mean, that's a blessing that the Lord would change our character, do an inward heart work that would kind of leak out into our actions and into our world today. That's a blessing. Man, what a blessing your neighborhood has because you live there, right? You pray for them. You love them. You show them the way of Jesus Christ. That's a blessing. What a blessing it is that our church has you here. Your reputation, your great name because you're changed by Jesus Christ really, really matters. It's amazing. To be known by others as one who knows God, that's fantastic. Is your home known for hospitality? Are you known as a person of prayer? Are you known as a person of generosity? Are you known as one who can be relied upon in time of need? Are you loyal? Are you steadfast? Are you courageous? That's because God has done something great for you and gifted you that blessing, this great name to be his ambassador in this earth. What a blessing. What a blessing. Man. And the third thing we've already been talking a little bit about, and that's the idea that we have enough for today that we can take our hands off of the striving, early rising, late going to sleep, anxious toil. Jesus said, let today's own trouble be enough for today. <laughs> let it be. Let it be. Go to bed. <laughs> you know, some people need to work a little harder. I'm aware of that. Some people need a little more drive. I'm aware of that. But preaching for myself today and looking at Psalm 127 and how it hits me, like some of us need to trust the Lord a little more. Some of us need to lean into his blessing a little bit more and lean into the ways that we create for ourselves a little bit less, don't we? We need to trust him and not our own strength. We fail. As Isaiah put it, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Forever. We have enough for today. If you don't have enough, please reach out. We have resources at the church to help get you food, to help get you shelter, to help get you what you need. We want to help you through the generous giving of our church family. We've given away, you know, over $100,000 to people in need in our community. That's awesome. We can help you have enough if you don't actually have enough. And if you have enough, let's be content with what we have and be thankful. Let's not be like those people who are looking all around, whose happiness is going down as we get more stuff. Let's be people who are thankful and grateful for what the Lord has given us because we're so blessed. When we lose our gratitude, we lose that ability to feel blessed. And so I want to ask you today, how has the Lord blessed you? What has he given you? We have it all in Jesus Christ. We have it all in Jesus Christ. Let's remember that specifically today. Because in Christ we have more than we could ever imagine. More than we could ever imagine. I think that the communion celebration is a picture of that in such a beautiful and rich and redeeming way. And it's the first Sunday of the month, which means we get to celebrate communion. It's one of my favorite things we do as a church family together. If you didn't get some elements, we're going to partake in a minute. And so you still have some time during the next song to sneak out and get some. If you're at home, feel free to take a minute to prepare some elements for you and your family. But I was thinking all week about this bread of anxious toil, this consumptive anxiety that we have, and remembering that Jesus tells us that he is the bread of life that whoever eats of him will never be hungry again, that knowing him truly is enough. And we don't have to strive. We don't have to work. He's there for us. So maybe as part of our blessing, whether we receive it and as we extend that blessing even to others, I want to ask you, like, who needs to be invited to the Lord's table? 
Who do you fellowship with that needs an invitation to meet that bread of life for the very first time? Who's trapped eating that bread of anxious toil and needs to find life in Jesus Christ, whose yoke is easy, whose burden is light? You know, this week, more often than not, it was me who needed to find life in Christ and not bread of anxious toil. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a spouse, or maybe it's you who needs to come to Christ, whether saying yes to him for the very first time or saying again, Lord, I trust you. Give me enough for today. I need your blessing. I need your peace. It's in vain I do everything else if I don't have you. So as the band comes and as we worship one more time, let's prepare our hearts to receive the bread and juice of communion as a remembrance of what he has done for us. Will you pray with me as we turn our hearts towards him?